Welcome to Lead to Succeed. This is the podcast to hear from the leaders of today in various fields from entrepreneurs to corporate directors. We hear their stories, lessons learned and challenges faced, as well as insights and advice to become a successful and an inspiring leader. The podcast is presented by us, Callum and Rebecca Jenkins, as we both believe that we all have the potential to be outstanding leaders if that's what we choose. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of our Lead to Succeed podcast hosted by myself, I'm Rebecca and Callum. And today we are very excited and pleased to have Sue, Sue Byrne. Is that correct? Yeah, thank you. It's my husband's fault. Sue Boone um, on our podcast. Now, Sue has a wealth of leadership experience and she is a logistics professional, been in logistics for 30 years, now has her own consulting business. But I know we're going to get some great insights here because when Sue started in the world of logistics, she was very often the only female in the room. And I guess the good side about that, Sue, was that when you had those comfort breaks, you could easily, you didn't have to queue for the loo when there weren't very many women around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and even in in recent years, when sometimes where you go to um, logistics um, events, uh, there was always a big queue for the the male loos and not for the ladies, yes. (laughs) Stood out a little bit. So would you just like to do a brief introduction? So our listeners can hear a little bit about your background and then we shall dive into the first question. Okay, so as you said earlier, I'm a logistics professional. I, I started many years ago as a, a trainee with, uh, with Whitbread and I've worked my way up through the industry, um, working for large retailers and manufacturers. Um, and I actually worked for the NHS as well, managing a, an ambulance service for a number of years. And I, I now have my own business, which I've had for five years. And I, I do a, a mixture of um, consulting and interim work with businesses that have challenges, either needing to bring about change or, or transformation. Well, I think we're going to be talking a bit about transformation in the podcast. But Sue, just to kick off, do you think there is a significant difference between being a manager and being a leader? I think so. I think most people start as a manager. <clears throat> I think often you, you, you start on that management journey because you feel that you want to be accountable. You want to, I don't know, maybe even just be in charge. And over time, you realise that actually that's not good enough and that in order to really bring about change you have to be a leader people have to want to work for you they have to buy into what you want to achieve and to a certain extent being a leader is also about buying into your people and helping them be successful Um, whereas being a manager is just about managing a task managing the here and now so to me leadership is more visionary Makes a lot of sense, and that's similar sort of things that other people we've interviewed have said too. Um, so in terms of your career, so you've had like quite a varied career. You mentioned from you know managing an ambulance with the NHS to you know I think you've on your LinkedIn message as well. You've like worked things like rail safety and you know uh, manufacturing and retail, and now you run your own business. 
do you think there was a particular point or perhaps multiple points in your career where you felt like you transitioned from more of a managerial role to a leadership position? For me, there, there are definitely some, some moments which stick with you. So my first general management role where I went from having roles where I very much worked for someone else and was very much directly tasked to being having my own site with there being no one else on, on site that I, I answered to, although obviously we all always answer to somebody. Um, and I was given the site and just left to get on with it. So it's, it was that moment in time where I almost felt, I know it sounds daft, but I walked in and felt like this is mine. And it's now up to me how this site runs, what happens. And, and I found real distinct ownership of, of the culture um, of the site and, and how things were done. Was that a feeling of being thrown in at the deep end, Sue, or did you feel really equipped, prepared and ready for that? In hindsight, I was, I was not ready for, I was ready for the responsibility of it, but I, I hadn't been given any of the tools, really, not many of the tools that I needed, but I definitely was ready to have the responsibility. And I think... If you always wait until you're ready, you'll never move forward. So sometimes, for me anyway, jumping in and getting on with it has been a, a pattern and um, has been an exciting journey. I think that is um, a lesson that we can all benefit from. So I think my own experiences maybe feel the same, Callum, when you just go with it, you know, you can't wait till everything's perfect because I don't think that ever comes. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, an example, when I went into the ambulance service, I, I had an element of that some people were a little bit hostile. Um, people saying to me, we don't understand why you're here, why you're our chief operating officer. Yeah. You've never worked in the NHS. You've never managed an ambulance service. How can you be in charge of us? And then six months later one of those people came to me and said uh, we'd had a just had a team meeting and he came up to me separately and said i i can't believe the difference in six months you, you know you're now enabling us to do things that we never thought were possible and yet six months ago he said you'd give me a headache with how many questions you ask me every time i came into contact with you but that's how you learn isn't it that is, yeah. How, sorry, can no, So what do you, that's a really interesting situation to have been in when you face that hostility at the beginning and then six months later they saw substantial changes and benefits. Could you share a little bit about your, your leadership style during that time and what it was that you did that turned that situation around or enabled that person to come to you and say, gosh, we've made significant progress. What did you do? What tips could you share about that that other people who might be in a similar situation? I'm always quite open. I don't pretend to be the expert. I don't pretend to have the answers. And that what I want to do is go on a journey with that person or with the team to explore 
you know, what, why, when, how, and, and by doing that with them, actually, they learn at the same time as me, because I find that often just asking questions makes, you ask an innocent question, and um, that seems obvious to you as an outsider, because you're new and you're learning, and people give you an answer, but sometimes you can see in their face that sometimes what they're thinking is, hmm, that really doesn't land very well, or even coming out of my own mouth doesn't sound like it's a good answer. And it makes them go away and just look at it without me. They go and look at it independently and they make improvement because they, by questioning something that they took for granted, they, um, they realize actually they've been taking it for granted and there's a better way. Um, I think you, you mustn't be arrogant. You've got to be humble. I think a long time ago I was taught about um, what people called then servant leadership. So you're you're there to facilitate other people, and if you pretend that you have all the answers and that you're the you know you're the only person who's going to innovate and change, then you'll fail um, because the the benefit of enabling your people is that the sum of the whole is, is greater than you. Do you think it's so? Me well. Sorry, go on. Sorry. That no, has no. just served me well, that, that way of thinking. It's not always possible. Sometimes you have to make a decision and say, right, I need you to do this. But that, that must, should be really rare. Usually, you know, it, it should be possible to do things together as, with consensus. I was going to say to you, do you think when you had to kind of overcome those objections from your team that maybe kind of were questioning why you're in the position you're in, do you think that was one of the one of the hardest challenges you faced as a leader trying to kind of overcome that and empower them and ultimately get them get the team to the position you were in at the end where everyone was kind of working together? What do you think? No, because it happens all the time. It still happens now. So now in my consultancy role, sometimes I'm brought into a, into a company that is struggling. They might have existing leaders and I'm brought in to support and help them. And even now people will challenge my right to be there, my right to look at what they're doing. Uh, um, because some people will always see the presence of someone else, no matter who you are, uh, as a as a threat or something they need to defend. So it's an ongoing thing. And I, I think you, you have to just be prepared to face it. Um, and as long as you're reasonable, most people accept. And after a while, they, they see what you bring and it just goes away. But I would much rather people be open and honest with me. I would much rather people say, I don't want you here. We don't need you here. Or why are you here? Or even I really don't like you. Whatever it is, I would much rather than say, and I can hear the objection. I can listen to it. I can respond if that's appropriate. And over time, I can monitor it. Whereas if people hide what they think from you, how do you know whether you're making you're you're getting through, whether you're making a difference, whether you're doing the right thing? So, uh, but that's just me. I like people to be upfront, so I've never found it particularly problematic. And do you think that people are sometimes like that because, as you mentioned earlier on, they see you as someone who's coming in from kind of like outside the company, they don't really know you at that point in time, you probably don't know them overly well. 
And do you think a way you kind of overcome that is by building up that relationship and that trust with them? Do you think that's a big part of kind of overcoming their objections? Or do you sort of have a different way of approaching it? I think trust is key. Um, It's one of my sort of go-to qualities. Um, One of the things that I think is part of my core, you know, like your belief system. So um, I, I... I seek to build trust quite quickly and, and um, it's very important. Um, it, it's not something that you have to be authentic with people in order to, to, to be that. And I think when people see, because I can understand, I can see it from the other side. If I was a, um, an operational manager and suddenly some consultant or whoever was brought in to help me i would find that quite challenging um i know i would so i you have to have some empathy for how other people feel and if you can if you can do that and then you act in an authentic and trustworthy way then then actually in general you overcome these problems because people see that you are actually there to help you're not there to criticize and you're not there to put them down you're there to make them successful so we yeah, so we, we, we touched on right at the beginning about uh, female leadership and male leadership. Do you think there is a distinct difference between the two? And I know when we had a quick chat on the phone, we, we both talked about it's going to be 2040 until there's equal, um, uh, before that we have boards that have equal numbers of women on top boards in in the UK PLCs so still a long way to go to get that equality in the boardroom so my question is do you think there are very different styles of leadership for males and females I find that really difficult to answer (laughs) I can only tell you how I lead Mm -hmm. and who I am um, and I think everyone is an individual. I, I see certain traits that are more female than male, but sometimes I see female traits in males <laughs> and vice versa. So um, I think there are certainly aspiring female leaders need to be aware of certain female traits so that they don't fall into those traps. Uh, and you were talking about being on boards, but I think pay is one of those things that's a big taboo that women find it really difficult to negotiate pay or to challenge if they think they're not being paid fairly. And I think that's one of those things that, um, that women need to think about, uh, plan for, and then be prepared to discuss and negotiate. And luckily for me, it's, I got over it quite early on in life. <laughs> I had a very good teacher, a very good mentor. And um, as a result, I have been able to always be happy with what I was being paid compared to my colleagues. And, you know, in the industry that I came from, that there was a huge potential um, for me to be, allow myself to be undervalued. So I think women should read up on the subject, understand those little pitfalls and just be wary of them. But are women different managers to men? I don't think so. I think people are people. 
Because if we're gonna uh, if we were to ask you with uh, three pieces of advice for people to become aspiring leaders, do you think one of those things of as you just mentioned, sort of being able to challenge the status quo, or maybe challenge if things if you felt things weren't quite right, or perhaps find a mentor? Do you think that would be one of your sort of key pieces of advice for kind of up and coming managers? You've always got to be prepared to challenge the status quo. I mean, that, that's part of, I guess, what has enabled me to be successful. I, I, I haven't um, gone in and accepted, just be, even if someone told me, this is how it is. Because you get that all the time. Don't you? you go to a, a new company or I'll go into a, a business that I'm going to support and, and I'll ask the question, so what, you know, tell me how you do this. And then I'll say, but, and why and um and people say oh well that's that's just how we do it here and and it has to be like that um and actually often it doesn't but you have to do it in such a way that people don't feel personally criticized sure. um that you want you help them understand that you're questioning the process not questioning their commitment or um or, or their intent and if people understand that then then they'll work with you to change what needs to be changed so kind of doing it in a genuine way is that yeah i think so and i'm not the i'm not the most sensitive of people so i'm not going to tell you that i have a huge amount of uh, pathos or anything like that i'm, I'm quite hard nosed and quite tough but um that it is you, you can good people can be doing a poor job and your job as the leader is to enable good people to do a great job to do the best job that they can do so um i think if if you went back to you know what what to advise a leader to do surround yourself with great people and enable them to act that's how i would um summarize it sure I think that's a really nice summary, Sue. Um, always take people that can do a better job than you. It's something that we hear a lot, isn't it? How many people actually feel comfortable, confident enough to do that is perhaps another question. But could we just touch on, probably just got two questions to, to go through. And my first question, and I think Cam will follow through, is what have been some really challenging times to you that you've learned from that you could share and inspire other people other managers or leaders who also may be facing challenging times how you came through them and what you learned from them would be really helpful okay um this was one of the most challenging times in my career was the the second um site that were second my second general manager role i w went to work for a, a big retailer and um i didn't know <laughs> until i arrived the site that they had given me was had already been in pay negotiations for six months and the site was in a really really bad way i went to acas in the first week of being in charge i had never done that before I didn't work with unions, but I had never worked with union colleagues like this. It was very, very scary. And um, and it was 
it was, and it was also very scary because I was brand new into this job and these guys were heading towards a strike and it was now my responsibility. And, and to be honest, you know, um, I didn't quite know what to do because there was only a certain amount of money, so I couldn't give them more money. Um, but there was a fundamental problem of leadership and culture on the site. So I led by example, I worked really hard, I made myself available, I talked to people. By the end of the sort of three month negotiation that we did, um, everyone on site knew who I was and I knew a huge proportion of, of the, the, the team as well. And they said that this had never happened before. Although they knew the general manager from a distance, they knew me by name. I knew them by name. And as a consequence, and this is where the thing about trust comes in, the balance of trust changed. So whereas before, initially, they believed only what the union told them. As they grew to know me, they, we would come out of a, a negotiation meeting and I would walk around and people would come up to me and say, what happened, Sue? What was said? Um, and they would leave me. And although we, um, they went to ballot and they voted to strike on the lead up to Christmas, which was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And my boss, um, the, the logistics director said, right, I'm gonna move all the volume out of your site and I'm gonna close it down. And, um, and he was on his way to the board meeting and I phoned him and said, please don't do that. Please don't do it. Give me a little bit more time. And he said, Sue, I'm not going to do it. Can't do it. But, you know, he came out three hours later. He phoned me and said, you've got a week. Oh. And, um, and my guys agreed at that point in that week. They didn't want to strike. They went, we went to arbitration. I put in place a... I proposed a two-year deal. Company had never done that before. And um, I won the arbitration. And then we had a really successful Christmas. And we went through, then we, the, the two-year deal enabled me to sort out the site, the culture, the leadership, and to really change things. And do you know, I did none of that with training. I did all of that with instinct, what's the right thing to do, and all those things, you know, getting out on the floor, leading by example, even, you know, in the run up to Christmas, I was on the floor picking. And I know that I, I come across other managers who said to me, you know, if you have to get on the floor and get your hands dirty, then something's wrong. Well, yes, if you're doing it every day, but actually sometimes doing it is good for the soul, shows people you're prepared to muck in and you understand what they're doing. You understand that how hard they work. Um, and I never looked back. And when I left that site, sorry, when I left the site, when I started, the, the union organiser, the regional organiser, wouldn't speak to me, wouldn't shake my hand. When I finished, she actually approached me and said, I'm really sorry to lose you. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, it was one of those moments where you, I was sort of looking for the, the camera. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely, I mean, so it was the hugest compliment, hugest compliment. I think that's a, a very significant story and a, a thank you for sharing that Sue, because, oh, I think 
there are so many programs these days around people owners going back to the shop floor and i think why is this a, a tv series that they should be doing that anyway and that's and you've demonstrated that and how do you won hearts and minds because it is hearts and minds in a situation like that that you are you're impacting and demonstrating that working on this together to make it better is what it's all about yeah i think it's it's key in leadership isn't it because if people care um and if they want to they buy in to what you're doing then that's how you get more you get discretionary effort that you can't buy that you can't force it, it can only be given freely and it, you know and it doesn't just apply to your management team it applies to you know your your, your colleagues receiving an hourly wage for doing you know straightforward simple tasks if they believe you care about them and that you matter that they matter to you um you get a different result so that sounds like it was a really proud achievement for you sam so a really good result at the um, time it was horrific <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah um is there anything else in your career that sort of particularly stands out as like a real kind of highlight moment or something that you've, you've been really proud of to achieve or something that you're perhaps working on now with your own business you've got coming up that you're particularly quite proud of is there anything that sort of stands out in particular in addition to what you just shared with us well i've just started a sort of a new venture for me so i've just started my first non-exec role um, with um, a light rail safety board um it's, it's brand and it's new as well so it's a, a newly formed company um and it's there to lead standards and safety in the light rail industry which um is i think has huge potential for the future and so um i'm absolutely delighted to have been um, given the opportunity and and again for me it's an example really of where people have said we want someone with the right mindset who doesn't necessarily have all the experience of this industry but can ask the right questions and can engage with people and and help us form a strategy so i'm just just in the first couple of months of that and um yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to getting stuck in and making a difference congratulations on your new role Sue. thanks are we we are c c closing coming to an end do we have any final things that we would like to like to ask you so i mean you've shared challenges you've given advice we've talked about different styles of leadership and what you're doing for the future so is there anything that you would like to just share with us to wrap up i don't know if you have a specific question do we at this stage no is there anything you would like to share with us just to wrap up sue the only thing I would say, and to come back to the thing about female leaders, is um, I read something the other day which I thought was really, really resonated with me that um, you shouldn't um, take feedback and advice from someone that you wouldn't ask for, ask it from. You know, um, there are plenty of people who will tell you that you can't do something. Um, I've had people tell me that I couldn't have my own business, that I couldn't move from the private sector to the public 
or couldn't then move from the public sector back to the private because I was, um, I think the, the term the person used was irrelevant. <laughs> so don't listen to people who tell you you can't. Make a plan and do it. I think that is a fantastic note to end on, Sue. Um, that resonates completely with me. I'm sure yeah, it most definitely. Yeah. I'm sure it resonates mm -hmm. with Callum. Um, then we've got so many amazing examples of people that have been successful, and you're a great example of that. Going against the grain and proving that it can be done in tough environments. Yeah. I know working with unions is a very, very tough environment to be in, especially when there's hostilities and it can be done. And it is all around having that mindset that you find a way through. Yeah, it taught me a lot about working for, with unions. And uh, I must say that subsequently I've dealt with much more difficult situations, but it was more straightforward because I had the knowledge. Yeah. Whereas that first time I didn't have the knowledge. Yeah. So Sue, thank you very much for your time. We've loved chatting with you. You've, you've given us some great insights. So we are going to just close the interview now. We've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you very much. And, it's um, a great to talk to you both as well. Um, thank you for my, my first uh, podcast experience. <laughs> <laughs>